0: Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is felt in the heart. So from now on, we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.
1: As we come to God's word together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the speaking God, and what you speak to us is always true, and it is always good, and it is always love, and it is always about Jesus. Uh, Please speak into our hearts now that we might know more truth, and more love from you and more about Christ for his name's sake. Amen. So, so what gets you out of bed in the morning? I don't mean some, you know, the alarm clock or as I've had this week, the four-year-old that arrives at 5.30 into bed with you or the Joys of Magic FM. I mean, what gets you up? What motivates you? What drives you through a day? Now, some of us, I guess we have jobs that we love. So going to work simply energizes us. Uh, it could be the way that work makes us feel. It could be the status it gives us. But for others, I guess we struggle to remember. Why, why did we get on the 640 or the, the 740 out of Chessington North? What on earth, what on earth made me choose to do this? And actually, work's just becomes something you have to do because there are bills that have to be paid. And, and you go each day longing for the next weekend or the next holiday or the next leisure activity that you can do. Some of us are driven by our desires for our family. So we've got to get the kids off to school or there's still some extra homework to be done or I need to go and make money so I've got to work on Sunday to make the money so that I can afford the extension we need so we can have that family kitchen diner or I can afford the birthday presents or Christmas presents my kids really deserve. I guess a lot of us wake up simply with last night's worries still on our minds. We struggle to get to sleep. And bang, as soon as we're conscious, they're there. We're we're driven maybe by anxiety. What does she think of me? What's going to happen today at school or college? Uh, how, how am I going to just keep going? And, and that fear that if I just don't keep going, if I, if I can't just keep going through life, it will finally spiral out of control. The, the mortgage debt will be beyond us once and for all. The kids will become even harder to manage. My elderly parents, they'll fall and they'll need to go into a home and I'm not sure how we're going to afford that. So we just sort of keep going because stopping is far too frightening. <laughs> What, what is it that drives you? What motivates you? I got an envelope through the door this week with this great slogan on. Did you get this envelope as well? Imagine peace of mind that lasts forever. It was a blue envelope. It was offering you life insurance. It doesn't last forever, by the way. When you die, you get nothing. Someone who loves you gets some money, but you get nothing. But that would be great, wouldn't it? Peace that lasts forever. What motivates you each day? I mean, what what motivated you to get up this morning? Because we all have some sort of a a vision for life, something that gets us through the the muddle of each day, that there's always a reason for what we do. It might just simply be, I'd like to be happy, or "I, I just feel I've got to do it. And sometimes the Christian life can become a bit like that. You know, when we first heard about Jesus and maybe first came to follow him, it was pretty exciting. We, we knew we were loved by God and we had this new joy in our hearts. But as the days go by, it sort of just becomes, through time, something we do because we have to do. We sort of go to church and we, we go to a small group or a prayer meeting because, well, that's, that's what you do if you're a Christian, don't you? You have to do it. Well, the thing is that this morning... Fact on any morning, the heart of what we do, the vision that we have for life, well, it's supposed to be one that is governed not actually by what we think about ourselves or what we think about the world, not even what we think about Jesus, but actually governed by what he has done for us. Because look what gets the Apostle Paul out of bed in the morning to 2 corinthians 5 and verse 14 this is what paul says in verse 14 for christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died christ's love compels us this is probably the fourth letter paul is writing to this church in corinth we've only got two of them in our bible because that's all god thought we needed But this is probably the fourth letter. And you'll probably know Paul has a difficult relationship with this church in Corinth. He was the first person to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're now questioning his ministry. They think he's a bit unimpressive as a a bloke. His speaking really isn't up to much. And they think that his message is a bit unattractive. It's all about being weak and suffering like Jesus did. And so Paul writes to explain his motives and his methods in spreading the good news of Jesus and folk in Corinth they actually think Paul's a little unhinged did you see that in verse 13 of our reading if we are out of our mind as some say it is for God if we're in our right mind it is for you and so Paul writes to explain, this is why I'm nuts about God, and this is why my life is devoted to you, Christians in Corinth. And the answer he gives is verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. And so we're going to see this morning the love that grips us and the love that gives. See, verse 14, Christ's love compels us. That, that's the love that grips That's what the word compels really means here. It has the sense, say, of being driven, being pushed, as though you're you're in a crowd. I was in in the tube at rush hour recently, and you sort of can't go any other way than the way everyone else is going as they squeeze in on you. It's a pressure from outside that you can't resist. It compels. And it's in the, the present tense here. This is an ongoing feeling that Paul has. Every day he is driven by Christ's love. And it's a love that has death at its heart. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. Christ's death at the heart of his love. We're convinced that one died for all one death on behalf of all types of people one death in the place of all types of people one death in the place of the death you deserve whoever you are see no one is beyond the benefits of Jesus death his arms outstretched wide on the cross are there to welcome all people in all nations all cultures whatever your social background whatever your sexual preference Christ welcomes you in no one's excluded from coming to Jesus however whoever you are Jesus says come to me come to me come to my cross i died for all and therefore paul says all died if you come to the cross of Christ, there is nothing that is, not left, that is left undealt with. Or whatever you've done, it died with Christ. Whether it was in the past, it died with Christ. Whether you are doing it now, it died with Christ. If you do it in the future, it died with Christ. Everything that stands against you. Everything that you're ashamed of, everything that you should be ashamed of, everything that makes you guilty before God, died with Christ. See, Christ's love wipes the slate clean. It's a total permanent reboot on your life. It's as if the God-hating, the people-hurting, the self-harming you never existed. You died with Christ. And do you see why in verse 18? Do you see the beginning of verse 18? Where does this life-changing love come from? All this comes from God. It's It's what the Bible calls grace. This is God's initiative. This is God's work. This is God's gift at his expense. The gift of the death of his son. The one and only death that changes your status with God from enemy to friend, from rebel to child, from spiritually dead to gloriously alive. And you see how he does it in verse 21, verse 21 of of chapter 5. It must be one of the most precious verses in the Bible. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, if if the motive was love, the mechanics is substitution. What the great theologian Calvin called this wondrous exchange. The one who literally, it says, knew no sin. Jesus, the perfect son of God. The only person never to know a feeling of regret. Never to know dirtiness. Never to know shame. Never to have to lie to cover anything up. Never to feel guilt. The one whose life was love personified. Whose actions were law abiding in every way. And not just the law of the land, but the law of the living God. The one whose conscience was perfectly clear. Whose mind was totally pure. Whose heart was always set to love God alone whose will only ever obeyed his Father in heaven. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That The Father poured onto his beloved Son, that perfect vessel, all of our shame, all of our filth, all of our regret, all of our secrets, all of our lies, all of our anger, And all of our excuses. All of our selfish actions. And all of our cruel words. All of our gossip. And all of our greed. All of our failures. And all of our deliberate disobedience. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He he felt the horror of what we have done in our lives to our families, to our friends, to our world. And then he bore its rightful punishment. He took the righteous anger of God that should be ours. He was forsaken so we could be welcomed. He experienced hell so that heaven could become our home. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God because this is an exchange this is a swap you see in the place of of all that sin that we have given to Christ we receive his righteousness in place of our guilt we are given his innocent status before God In place of our filth, we are given his purity of life to be ours. So now our Heavenly Father treats us as perfect children. However ashamed you come to church this morning, however you might feel wretched about the last week, however dirty you think your life is, if you trust in Christ, God the Father looks down upon you and what he sees is the righteousness of his Son clothing you, covering you. You are perfect in his sight. So you can be no more guilty today before God than Christ is. You can be no more rejected by God than he would ever reject the Lord Jesus. You can no more lose his love than he would take his love. The Father would take his love from the Son, the love that has been poured out in all eternity. I learnt of a a, a memorial in London yesterday. Do you know about Postman's Park in the city of London? I, I, I was in the city for a conference yesterday, and there's a place called Postman's Park, and in it is this. There's a memorial to heroic self-sacrifice. It's ordinary people who, who gave their lives for others but might be forgotten. Here, here are three inscriptions from the memorial. Mary Rogers, stewardess of the Stella, March the 30th, 1899, self-sacrificed by giving up her lifebelt and voluntarily going down in the sinking ship. Or Elizabeth Boxall, age 17, of Bethnal Green, who died of injuries received in trying to save a child from a runaway horse on the 20th of June, 1888. Or Alice Ayres, daughter of a bricklayer's labourer, who by intrepid conduct saved three children from a burning house in Union Street Borough at the cost of her own young life on the 24th of April, 1885. There is a list of names... There is a set of plaques, a set of plaques that are so numerous you cannot count them, a multitude of plaques made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And though the names on them of those who have been rescued are different, the inscription of the rescuer is always the same. Jesus Christ, perfect Son of God, who died outside Jerusalem, Bearing the sin that was not his, suffering the punishment that there was theirs, that they, that you, might know the love of God. Christ died for sin once for all. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, whoever you are. Whatever you've done, however you feel about yourself. You see, God says to us this morning, You are my precious child. You are my perfect child. I have reconciled myself to you, and I have reconciled you to myself at the cost of my son. This is what the hymn writer Horatius Bonner wrote. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Not on the tears which I have shed, not on the sorrows I have known, another's tears, another's griefs, on these I rest, on these alone. This is the love that grips that compels. Christ's love compels us. The total love. The love of the cross that we can't lose because we didn't find it. It found us. The love that we can't let go of because it took hold of us. The love that can't be taken away because we didn't earn it. It was freely given to us. This is a simple question, isn't there? Do you know this love? You see, if you've never known this love, today's a great day to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even now is a great time to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why delay knowing a love like this? Why why not just ignore me for the rest of what I've got to say and quietly in your heart pray and make peace with God now? Turn to him. Because you have to turn to him. You have to turn from your life of self to Christ and seek his forgiveness. You have to come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to take your rightful place as the ruler in my life because I know how you have loved me. You see, Paul says that when this love grips you, you can actually say, no other than, here I am, Lord, do with me as you wish. Because look what happens in the next verse. Paul says, verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, if this love has truly gripped you, the love that grips will create in you the love that gives. It's two sides to the same coin in verse 15. Not living for ourselves and living for Christ. You have not experienced the love of Christ if you still want to live for yourself. Or maybe you have some time in the past and that love has just grown cold and you are no longer standing at the foot of the cross looking up and wondering at God's love for you. And you need to go back there to, to, to the cross. To be, be gripped afresh by the love of Christ. Because the love that grips becomes the love that gives And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. No longer live for ourselves. Because living for ourselves is sin, basically. It's the vision of life that has me at the center. The motivation of life, which is my comfort, my pleasure. But Christ died for that. So our selfishness is dead. Our self-righteousness is dead. Our self-love is dead. Our pride is dead. Our people-pleasing is dead. Our plans are dead. So living for ourselves is the opposite of what Christ's death achieves. That's what verse 15 is saying. Do you see that? There's that word, for he died for all that. There's the reason. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. That was the purpose of his death. That we'd be so gripped by his love that we'd live for him. Not because of guilt, but actually out of love, we would love him and live for him. You can't live for yourself and Christ, can you? There's only room on the throne of your life for one person. It's like not, not a two-seater throne. You know, with, with Jesus on a slightly lower step, there to serve you when you need him. There's only one... Have you ever, you ever try to drive a car with two people in the driving seat going for the wheel? It's a crash. It's, it's mayhem. There's only room in the, the, the car of your life for one person in the driving seat. Do you, do you remember those, um, those old railway carriages? You know, some of you might be as old as me to remember the railway carriages. If you've seen a Harry Potter film, you've seen them. Yeah, when you sort of get into a compartment and there are three seats facing three seats. Yeah. There's a story of a guy who got into one of those carriages, and uh, sitting opposite him were two slightly older men, and uh, a little while into the journey, one of the men f- started to fit um, some sort of seizure, and he fell to the floor, and he was, he was thrashing around, and the guy was sitting beside him, got, got down on his knees, and he, he sort of protected him, stopped his head, his, his arms, hitting the, the metal legs of the seat, and after a while, the guy went still. It seemed like an eternity, it was probably less than a minute, that the guy went still, and uh, foamed a little bit, a little salivus at the mouth. And, and his companion just turned to the boy, the, the younger man, to try and calm him down. And said, said look, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, just, just let me explain. Um, uh, we, we fought together in the Korean War. It was in the 1950s, the Korean War. And uh, I, in a skirmish, I was pretty seriously wounded. And uh, he risked his life under fire to take me out to the medics. Anyway, after the war, I discovered that, that through the sort of post-traumatic stress, uh, he, he was left like this. So I've, I found out where he lived. And um, ever since, I've, I've just tried to look after him as best as I could. You see, he, he did everything for me. That's the least I could do for him. Verse 15, and he died for all. And he died for you, and he died for me. that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And what does it look like to live for the Christ, who, who loves you like that? Well, well Paul outlines that in what follows in his life. it means seeing people differently. Do you see how he sees people differently in verse 16? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we we do so no longer. Or we see people with fresh eyes. You see, now we we see Jesus as the Son of God who loves me and died for me. And that means I see everyone else, not as the world sees them. I see them as needing Christ. Whether they're prince or pauper, whether they're prostitute or priest, whether they're the charming middle class occupant of Somerset Avenue or the young scruffy lad in trackies and a hoodie on the Hook Parade, you find slightly intimidating. There's one need that needs addressing, and that's how I see everyone. They need Christ. So that, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You see, that's, that's what we long for people. Not, not just a fresh start today. What what Paul's saying is as they trust in Christ, they become part of a whole new creation. They become part of God's people who know the security of being loved by God today in this life and will be with the Lord Jesus forever in a perfect new world in his presence enjoying that love in eternity. New creation has come and that's what I want for everyone. I don't see people now with the world's eyes. I see them either as part of new creation or not part of new creation. Knowing God's love or not knowing God's love. That's what matters. It's what matters for our children, isn't it? It's what matters for our neighbors, for our colleagues. What matters for our wider family. In fact, nothing matters above all else. Do they know Christ and his love for them? And are they part of new creation that now they're secure in that love and forever they will live in that love? See, we see people differently, and we see our purpose differently. Do you see what the purpose is? Look at verse verse 19. This is what Paul says, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, That's the big thing God's doing in the world reconciliation, that's what today is about, reconciliation. God God doesn't count people's sins against them. He's not like you and me. He he doesn't bear a, a grudge against those who slighted him. He doesn't demand even justice against those who wronged him. You know, God has every right, like that dad in in the case in America. Did you read about him? He had three, I think, two or three daughters abused by that gymnastics doctor. And he was over the front of the desk and said, give me five minutes with him, swinging. And that would be me. They had to wrestle him to the ground. But God's not like that. He doesn't bear a grudge. He doesn't demand justice. He doesn't ask people to repay the debt they owe him. Not counting people's sins against them. He gives his son so they might be reconciled to him. It's like that dad in the courtroom saying, I forgive you. And by the way, I'm going to give you the most precious thing I've got so I can forgive you. That's how far different God's love is from our hearts. Because I guess most of us were over the top of the desk with the dad. Swinging, weren't we? That's my little baby. I'll have you. But that's not God. He says, you treating me like that. Have my baby. And so Paul says, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. That's what we are. We we take this message. And being an ambassador in in Paul's day, it wasn't like living in an enormous government house in some foreign land, going to endless drinks parties. No, no, an ambassador in Paul's day worked for the king. And when the king smashed his enemies, the ambassador was sent out to quietly tell them what the terms of surrender were. This is what you're going to do now because I've defeated you. And the extraordinary thing is, the Lord Jesus Christ smashes our sin and Satan and death on the cross. And then he sends out his ambassadors with this message I've totally defeated everything that stands against me. I love you. Did you see the message at the end of verse 20? This is the message. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's as though the Lord Jesus Christ has said to the Apostle Paul, look, I've got this message, Paul. Please go and beg them to come to me. We implore you on Christ's behalf. The one who rules the universe humbles himself and says, come to me. Come that you might be reconciled to God.'" It's been such an encouragement this week to, to hear of how that word one to com, one, one conference has helped people. You know, this little resource just to help us think about how we can talk to people about John, John's gospel, talk about Jesus. There was a, one guy who left the conference on uh, Saturday. He was quite encouraged, he went to the gym. Uh, he was uh, on the bike in the gym as uh, someone walked in. They'd not seen him for two or three years, cycling away. They got chatting. After about 45 minutes of not particularly talking about anything, the guy said, so what were you doing this morning? And, and, and the guy from church thought, well, um, I'll have to tell him. So, so he said, well, I was at this conference about explaining about the good news about Jesus using this resource called World 1 to 1. Then his head, he thought, I'll have to ask him. I don't want to ask him but I'll have to ask him whether he'll read the book with me I'll have to ask him he'll say no anyway Maybe I no I'll have to ask him so he said um, at the conference we, we were sort of challenged to ask people if they'd want to sit down and read you know, John's gospel with us and this resource would you like to read it with me oh yeah great that'll be fantastic when do you want to meet up sure I'll have that coffee it's been great to hear of mums asking other mums on school gates some have said no but some have said yes It's been great to be here last night as as you put relationship on the line by inviting friends to a quiz night where Dan Reisinger stood up and said, you need to listen to God because he's the God who speaks to you. Will you listen to God? That's being gripped by Christ's love. That's then giving in love to others. That's being compelled and driven because of what Christ has done for you. That others might hear his cry. Be reconciled to God. That That's living with a different vision. It's seeing people differently. And it's seeing the purpose of your life differently. And if you're wondering how you might get involved in taking that message of Christ to others. Well have a pot around the stalls at the end of the service. But but what matters more than anything else is what will get you up tomorrow morning. What, what will take you to that colleague at work and say, do, do you fancy just for half an hour looking at something that the Bible says with me over a coffee? Just give me half an hour if you hate it. You know, that's all it's been, half an hour. But if you like it, maybe we can do it again. It might encourage you to invite someone to a World You all Want course that you are compelled by the love of Christ, two Corinthians five fourteen, the apostle Paul says, "For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again." Is that your vision? Let's pray that that would be our heartbeat, our vision. Let's pray we'd be gripped by Christ's love for us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Moment's quiet for you. To do business with the Lord in your own heart. And uh, then as the music starts, we'll sing of the Father's deep love for us. But let's just keep the quiet for a moment.